0: My wife and I share so much. We both have love for animals and video games. We are both creative types, her with painting and sewing and writing, myself taking up saws and drills and hammers and all other instruments of construction or deconstruction. We share a love for film and music, but more so for the dying medium print. We met while pursuing higher degrees in literature and writing. On paper, we are, at least interest-wise, almost perfectly simpatico. This isn't to say that we don't often diverge. While she prefers the log cabin, or the craftsman, the Americana type of architecture, I'm obsessed with brutalism. All uniform, steel, and function. She loves colors, mandalas, and patterns, while I'm of the minimalist camp, black and white, with concrete accents. She doesn't like shrimp. I'd develop iodide poisoning if not properly restrained. Most of the time, she sees the best in humanity. I, however, am constantly looking for the biggest threat in any room, in any situation. But the biggest divergence between the two of us The one thing that creates polar opposites between us is noise or a lack thereof. I am unable to function without a constant stream of sound. Writing, cleaning, driving, eating, showering, sleeping. There's always something playing through speakers in the house, in my headphones, from the TV. Sometimes I have multiple sources going at once. Indiana Jones playing in one room, a record spinning in another, and a podcast playing on my phone. If I could work power drills and sledgehammers into the equation, I'd be over the moon. My wife, on the other hand, she relishes the silence. Though she's never requested it, I often take my personal auditory carnival with me and leave for a few hours just so she can shut everything down and wrap herself up tight in the quiet. This could simply be chalked up to our personalities. I am the big, transparently self-conscious extrovert that can't stand not being the center of attention, while she is perfectly happy being the introvert, watching and taking note from the safety of the sidelines. While mine goes to 11, she often asks the pertinent question, why? In a way, we compliment each other very well, her turning me down a few notches while I try and boost her signal But there remains the question, what are we afraid of? Am I afraid of what I might think or hear if my wall of sound and noise is interrupted? And for her, does she fear what the continual chaos of noise might do to the streamlined progression of her uninterrupted thoughts? Am I scared to go inside myself while she's just as frightened of what would happen if she stepped outside? Ladies and gentlemen, the doctor is in, and the haunt is on. Chapter 5 The house kept quiet for the next week. Those living within its walls, however, were not. Denny had thrown himself into the initial stages of the basement remodel, deciding not to wait like Kate and he had discussed. But instead, he began slipping downstairs when the rest of the family was distracted. Kate was irritated at first, as the drywall and screws and plaster and this and that would eat into their depleting savings. But it kept Denny busy. He needed to be busy. No amount of Zoloft or life coaching could help Denny when he was plunged into the depths of his unoccupied mind. Barry milled around, alternating between various gardening and landscaping tasks, and trips to contractors' offices or hardware stores. And sometimes Joan went along with him, but mostly she was around the house, cleaning and listening to conspiracy theory podcasts in her earbuds. She thought she saw the snake again on the other side of the yard, but it turned out to just be a tree branch stuck through the fence. When home, the in-laws were like crashing waves of noise, bickering, making up, sharing laughter from internet videos of silly animals, or the qualifying rounds of Formula 1 racing. Between them and the blast beats of black metal playing in the basement coming up through the floorboards in the master bedroom. Kate would need to retreat into the most silent places in the house. Because the virus had closed her campus, thus leaving her office and its irresistible solace out of reach, Kate hid out in the library, or in the laundry room, even though it was like a blast furnace in there. But more often than not, she sat on the closed lid of the toilet in the master bathroom. Door rolled shut, sometimes responding to student and faculty emails, or grading essays, but mostly she just sat bathing not in the freestanding tub but in the cascade of silence the reprieve of the room was such that she hadn't even remembered to feel scared the dogs accompanied her mo- most often seeking shelter from the summer heat on the tile floor and neither of them even echo had acted as if something unseen to human eyes was present maybe it was all in her head maybe it was stress but hadn't Denny said he felt something too he was just as stressed if not more being around his parents constantly not having a job the virus cutting off a good portion of the outside world having no friends close at least Kate had work to focus on or escape to Denny had little in the way of options it was she thought enough to make even the sanest person crack up just a bit. But again, things were quieter. The house, it seemed, had settled. And so it was that Kate found herself in a rare moment of not only silence, but solitude. Denny had gone with his dad to the flooring manufacturer to figure out the holdup in the delivery, and Joan had gone to volunteer at the McCormick County Animal Shelter just a mile away from where their new house was being built. it was the first thing she did after finalizing the house sale. She went in and offered to brush and walk the dogs waiting to be adopted. She went every Monday afternoon. So after weeks of chaos, Kate finally had the house to herself. She sat with her laptop warming the tops of her thighs in one of the two blue chairs in the parlor room of their house. From her seat, Kate could see both the front and back doors, as well as beyond the pass-through into the living room, then through the sliding glass doors. A clear view to all three entrances, and exits. Out back, Denny had positioned a bird feeder to dangle from the porch's awning. On this day, Kate could see two cardinals were having a late lunch. The dogs were snoring on the kitchen floor. Joan had left an hour before. Barry and Denny 45 minutes before her, and Kate estimated that she had another solid two hours of peace and quiet. In her immediate future, she saw bath bombs and candles and her earlobes just gracing the surface of her warm water. She thought she might even doze off in the bath. All she needed was to get through another six essays. They say a good English teacher spends 10 to 15 quality minutes on each student paper, The lifers can do the same in eight to ten. Kate, already feeling the refreshing bathwater on her bare skin, was burning through the last of her digital stack, spending roughly four to five minutes on each. The sixth to last essay was an unusually grim affair, with the opening sentence reading, Since the dawn of time, wolves have been roaming the earth, doing what they do. This particular assignment was to write about costume design in Shakespeare so whatever the student was writing about had completely missed the mark. Kate wrote down a C in her gradebook, knowing that any substantive revision wouldn't be possible in four minutes, or ten minutes, or a half hour. Some things were just beyond repair. Move on. The next was marginally better, while the third was shockingly well-written, the sort of essay a teacher might want to congratulate themselves for helping to create. But really, it was more of an innate talent that the student possessed, rather than any pedagogy. Kate was about to open the next essay, when movement caught her eye. Thinking the cardinals had come back, or another bird had shown up to the feeder, Kate finished skimming the first page of the essay, then she looked up. She was startled to see Joan standing beyond the glass. Her mother-in-law was staring at her a wan smile wrinkling her cheeks. How had she missed Joan coming back early? Was she so engrossed in the work of her students? Or mind-numbing faculty correspondence that she tuned out Joan entirely? Tuned out the sound of barging in from the carport, the dogs barking and whining at her arrival? No way. There was just no way. She must have come in through the back gate, Kate thought. That had to be it. Maybe she had dog shit on her shoes and didn't want to track it onto the floors. She had just waxed the day before. But that didn't make sense. Would she really drive all the way back with shit on her shoes? Kate broke her gaze with Joan and looked into the kitchen. It was dark, cool. Both dogs lay on their sides, pale bellies exposed like deer crumpled on the side of a highway. Rib cages expanded, deflated. Roxy, the bigger sister, was kicking in her sleep. Neither of them appeared to notice Joan or care. When Kate looked back out onto the porch, Joan had moved closer to the glass and now held one of her hands up. The woman was making a come-here motion. She probably wants to point out how much the porch needs a sweeping, Kate thought. Or maybe the snake's back. Kate held up with a single finger pointed upward, hoping this would signify, be there in a minute. The snake or the sweeping could wait a few minutes. Joan kept curling her own fingers in the gesture and her smile widened. Though she sometimes disagreed or bickered with Joan, Kate had always been drawn to her. There were even times she'd called Joan before her own mom. Denny's mom was a social woman A butterfly of the most genuine sort. Close friends, postal workers, grocery store bag boys, and daughters-in-law. Everyone became her best friend after a few minutes' chat. There were always hugs and back rubs. She volunteered at animal shelters and helped out at her church. While the execution was occasionally off the mark, her intentions were always in the best interest of others. She was the embodiment of what every dreamer believes mothers are made of, warmth. Kate herself could often feel sheets of anxiety or anger sliding off with one of Joan's full-bodied hugs. The woman laughed with her whole body, forcing everyone around her to follow suit, and her smile was enough to take the edge off, even in photographs. But that afternoon, on the porch, There was nothing comforting in her smile. It was the sort you put on when you taste something awful, but still need to be polite. The sunlight behind Joan felt too bright, too intrusive, as if it were aiming to erode Kate's pupils. Using her gesture, Kate urged the woman to wait again, and forced herself to look back down at the display on her laptop. Through the sunspots in her vision, she managed to make two stock, but still helpful comments on the student essay, mark a grade into her spreadsheet, and then save the file. She only had two papers left. Maybe she could just bang those out while Joan waited, let her smoke one of her menthol cigarillos. Yes, that's what she'd do. Rather than look up, Kate opened the next essay and quickly scanned through it. As she began to type comments, knuckles wrapped on the glass. Once. Twice. Three times. The knock was deliberate, hard, echoing through the double pane, and feeling as if it were bouncing off the wall behind Kate's head. Kate slowly looked up to Joan again, her breath catching. Joan now had her forehead pressed against the glass, curls of hair mashed into the smudge of sweat spreading on the door. Her nose was bent to one side, a trickle of mucus merging with the sweat on the glass. And the smile was wider still, as if the muscles in her face were trying to tear her cheeks open. This was worse than forced politeness. This was the smile of a secret, the knowing smile of someone who has less than honorable intentions for you. Kate knew that sort of smile all too well. She'd been a high school cheerleader, after all. But this was different. It made Kate's stomach drop. An elevator's cable snapping free of the car. And every hair on her arms and neck felt like they were desperately trying to pull themselves free of the follicle. Kate pictured the bathroom. She pictured the dogs staring at something she couldn't see. She pictured them growling. And then... This is ridiculous, Kate thought. Get a hold of yourself. This is your mother-in-law. Your second mom. And as if responding, Joan knuckled the glass again, slow, hard, and rhythmic. Knock, knock, knock. Another thought, a buried voice, one that their counselor, Jeanette, had referred to as the little girl Kate, said, But what if it isn't? What if it isn't your second mom? Of course it is, Kate said, this time out loud, the sound of her real voice in the silence of the house seeming to somehow soften the tension. Seeing Joan outside had just spooked her, that was all. Kate thought she was alone, and then suddenly she wasn't. But wasn't that how she was always feeling in this house? And now her leisurely bath was out. Instead. She'd be sweeping up the porch because her second mom asked her to. Joan pulled her face away from the glass when Kate stood up. Closing her laptop and setting it on the side table, Kate decided to take her sweet damn time to go out there. She stretched and wriggled her toes. Walking through the kitchen, she poured a glass of water from the refrigerator and studied her snoring pets. Some watchdogs you are. Did you even see grandma out there? Did you hear her knocking? Echo lifted her head to look at Kate briefly, then dropped back to the tile. Could have been a burglar or a serial killer. And here you both are, sleeping on the job. What if that wasn't grandma? What if it was someone trying to hurt your mama? Your one and only mother. I bet you'd feel pretty bad, wouldn't you? Neither had a response for her. When Kate got to the living room, she saw, even through the lingering moisture stain in the center of the glass, that Joan was heading down the stairs. She was making the same come-here motion over her shoulder. Hold on, woman, Kate muttered, sliding the door open. The heat rushed in. What are you doing back so early? Joan didn't respond, but was already halfway down the stairs. Kate slid the door closed behind her. If the dogs, with their spurts of energy, were to run out right then, they might knock Grandma down the steps. There had already been a few close calls. Joan disappeared into the basement and shut the metal door behind her. Kate stopped halfway. What the hell? A feeling of dread rushed through her. Mixed with the unforgiving glare of the sun, Kate thought her knees might buckle, and she'd just crumble down the stairs, like she had been worrying Joan would. What if that isn't Joan? the inner adolescent Kate insisted. If there's a ghost Denny, there could be a ghost Joan, couldn't there? Kate stamped a foot on the wooden step beneath her. Get yourself together. You are a grown ass woman. She was 30 years old, too old to be jumping at shadows. It was the middle of the afternoon in broad daylight. It must have been a hundred degrees. Kate could feel her thin shirt beginning to cling to her body. She was in an aging section of suburban Georgia in a backyard with a pool, three bird feeders and the skeletal frame of a greenhouse. Birds were singing, not screaming at approaching danger. She had a good job in academia, a great job, that promised a long future. She had the respect of her peers and colleagues. She'd written poetry that magazines wanted to publish. People had performed her plays. She was a doctor for fuck's sake. Horror doesn't happen like this. It needs the night. It requires damp, chill, spiderwebs and dripping water, the loneliness of 3 a.m. It happens to big-chested blondes who always take the wrong escape route. Kate was blonde, and while porno companies weren't beating down the door, she felt good about her cup size. Still, horror happens to those women whose only assets are secured to their bodies with wire and fabric, to the men who follow and drool over them. It happens to stupid people, people that ask for it. Horror happens by playing with a Ouija board or calling to Bloody Mary repeatedly in a dark bathroom. Horror is found in abandoned asylums and medieval forests and sprawling, dusty mansions. In overpopulated cities to vacant people with vacant desires and overpopulated genitalia. Not in the suburbs, and not to English professors. Not to her. Besides, the dogs would sense something. But Echo and Roxy were content to act like rugs on the kitchen floor. So Kate hurried down the rest of the stairs and flung the basement door open wide. Today's episode was presented by Dr. Scare Love. Theme music was provided by Atrium Carcheri Please check out Atrium Carcheri and all the other cryo chamber label artists on Bandcamp. You can also find links to their stuff in the show notes. Be sure to like and subscribe. And as this is a brand new podcast, any reviews on Apple Podcasts are helpful. And remember, there are two types of people in this world. The haunters and the haunted. Which one are you?